Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The JMU Sports News Podcast is presented by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for this season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. It's a sad, it's a mo- it's an emotional podcast, a yeah, somber would, podcast. No, I don't think it's any of I think it's a little disheartening, but I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. We did the Twitter space, which was an absolute hit. Um, we'll, we're, I think we're going to try and start doing those more throughout like the basketball season, maybe. Yeah. Maybe previewing weekend. I don't know what we'll, we'll we'll find a way to do more of those. But it was a lot of fun. But the vibe in there, unlike the hashtag Fire Signetti Twitter space that we'll get to here in a bit, um, I felt like ours was pretty good. Like fans, there's Sunbelt to look forward to. It was a bummer they lost, but really, it, it kind of felt like, wow, we were in that game late, and we were down. We could have easily been down 28-0 at halftime. Yeah, really weird first half. They end up losing 20. 20- 20 to 14 the first half they're down 13 nothing should have been more i mean they looked they looked pretty dreadful in those opening 30 minutes then they what they took the opening drive in the second half down for a touchdown and kind of made it a game from there and they actually took a lead at one point it was an interesting game we talked a lot about it on the space we'll rehash some of it here but i was i mean it's like it's hard to win in the fargo dome they played fine it was whatever and they lost by a possession, which they've done a lot with a late interception, which they've also done a lot against North Dakota State. It was it was what it was. Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It happened. It was a game they probably shouldn't have been in. I tweeted, I think, the next morning that I said uh, North Dakota State was the far superior team. Um, some people got a little upset at me for that, which, understandable. I was just using hyperbole to try and really make my point known because – the next day, and even that night, it felt like JMU fans were like, we were the better team. How did we lose? And it's like, I don't think JMU was the better team in that game last night. And then JMU fans, and, and rightfully so, if you watch the game, it did come down to a miraculous interception in the end zone. Like, the, it, that's that's not wrong. But at the same time, that's just omitting so many facts from the game, like being down 13-0 at halftime, which yeah. could have been four scores because they dropped two third-down passes in the first half. They failed to capitalize late in the first half when they were like on like the two yard line and couldn't punch it in. Um, so at the end of the day, I think North Dakota State was the much better team that showed itself throughout the game. And that's why I wasn't too upset at the end of the game. I thought, yeah, North Dakota State felt like the team that actually deserved to win the game. They were reasonably consistent throughout. Um, and look, they like it was really similar yardage wise JMU was at like 305 or something and North Dakota state had like 340 yards, uh, but they had two interceptions. So they lost the turnover battle two to zero sort of made up for it. If you're like a coach and you kind of count special teams, like the MJ Hampton blocked punt was 
borderline turnover just because it really flipped the field and gave JMU a huge boost. But like for the most part, I just thought like North Dakota State was better. Especially Lipke. Yeah, man. Fullback was a uh, fullback was a problem. I think you tweeted it. It's 2021 and JMU is getting destroyed by a fullback. I thought it was like legitimately funny. Like it's hilarious in 2021 to be like, you know who they're having trouble stopping? It's like, is it like some sort of hybrid receiver tight end or like a dual threat quarterback or, or maybe this defensive lineman who's like a speed rusher with a bunch of power too. It's like, no, it's a 240 pound fullback. From probably the middle of nowhere, North Dakota or whatever. I think they kept highlighting him. Was he the one that was from a hometown of 1100? I think so. I think he was. Like, that's just, and that, or that might've been the linebacker. Actually, there was a linebacker. They kept oh yeah. About this guy's life. from Lepke's from Spencer, Wisconsin, which I can't imagine is a large place. <laughs> like it's just, it is really fitting that that's how North Dakota state moves the ball. It's also fitting that we talk so highly of the linebackers coming into this game and Azadama and Tucker Dorsey. And we're like, they are, you know, they, they hold down the middle of that defense, the front set, the front line, front four are fantastic. They can just rotate people in and out and they're absolutely unstoppable. The secondaries come into their own and the linebackers, they just hold it down throughout the season and who couldn't stop a fullback. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. It's just hilarious. I thought they played, I thought they played reasonably well. They did, but they like just times. couldn't stop a fullback coming out of the backfield in the passing game. The receiving was alarming when the fullback got some, like, receptions. Yeah, he had three catches for 89 yards and two touchdowns. He was the leading receiver, and it wasn't even close. Nobody else had more than 26 receiving yards. Um, it was really – it was one guy, and it was, it was a fullback. But I thought they did a nice job, like, scheming some of the runs open where they would, like, pull a guard, yeah. and you would have – you'd have somebody kind of fly in. Like, Mike Green would get penetration, but it was where the guard was pulling, and then you would run away. and it would, So they did some stuff there, I thought, scheme-wise, that was nice to – create some holes yeah their run game was fantastic and and Lipke and I don't even know who their other running back was because eventually I feel like they just stopped handing it to him but he just would fall for, like he would get hit three yeah. yards behind the line and somehow would gain four and I mean you just can't stop that you can't game plan for that like as cliche as it is he fell forward he always was falling forward and he was always getting you yards and I think that's the thing I'm just not too upset about it there wasn't really a lot of I mean I don't want to say there was bad coaching because then JMU Twitter is going to take that as I want Signetti fired and Signetti needs to be fired. I was texting you about this and I guess now's the time to get into it. There was real criticism of some aspects, not a lot of aspects, but some aspects of Signetti's coaching and the coaching staff in that game. But within five minutes, everyone wants to fire Signetti. So instead of us being able to kind of give our fair criticisms of him, we have to sit there and defend him. That's what's so annoying is like Jamie fans, their first reaction is, is like, oh, Signetti's got to go. I think what they're trying to say, and they're actual people who want him fired because they have no idea what they're talking about. But I think what a lot of people are trying to say, and instead they say fire the person, is that they have questions about Signetti as the long-term coach of a team that wants to be one of the best group of five teams in the FBS moving forward. So I think that's what they're trying to get at. But instead of actually getting at that, they're like, oh, he's definitely not the guy. We need to fire him. This was a huge mistake. And I think that take is really wrong and, and pretty lazy. Um, yeah. He's 33 and five. And I, I swear to God, if I have to hear someone, well, who are the five he lost to? Every time he plays an equally matched team, he loses. 
So you're telling me that that like 90% of the time, JMU has a team that's better than the other team and then takes advantage of that talent and gets the win. That's a large part of coaching, right? If you're better than an opposing team and avoiding an upset in a college sport is very challenging. So if you're telling me he's never been upset, which isn't really true. I think they're more talented than Villanova. Um, I think they were more talented than other teams they played. So I, think I don't they think they were more talented cool. than North Dakota. Like, I know I just went on that thing, but like North Dakota State was the better team. I think JMU is the more talented team. Right. So it's like, I don't totally buy that argument either. But the idea essentially is that like every time he's in an evenly matched game, he loses. And I, I'm not totally sold on that. I also think the fact that he's beaten teams that are like close to even or below consistently is a huge deal. In a lot of these games, a lot of those five losses could have and maybe should have went the other way. Yeah, I mean, and also it's the fact that he has them in those games, in games they probably shouldn't be in. Um, The West Virginia game, they probably should have won that game. But at the same time, like, you're going into a Power 5 team's house. Um, Granted, it was kind of a down year for West Virginia, but still, they are a better team for all intents and purposes. And you have them in the game late. Um, North Dakota State... 2019 national championship they absolutely were obliterating us for three quarters and they were still in the game i mean last on friday they we should not have been in that game i'm trying to think of the other losses villanova two missed field goals could have won that game um what was the fourth fifth one uh sam houston you mentioned that one oh yeah and that's not even on the coaching staff the players like royally (laughs) faded at the end of that game like that's (laughs) That's hard, but I also don't like the idea that he's only, he's never won a quote-unquote big one. Like, I would argue that the game they played in 2019, they had that MJ Hampton interception against Villanova. Villanova was the number five team in the country when they had that huge fourth quarter and won by 14. Um, they beat Northern Iowa and Weber State back-to-back home playoff games. Uh, both those were double-digit victories. Like, it was a number three Weber State team in the semifinals. They completely controlled the game. Like, where is the definition of big one? Like, the Montana game should technically count as a big one. They're only saying big one because it's like the North Dakota State games, the FBS game, which in reality, the FBS game really did not matter. Like, FBS be- game, like I love how JMU fans, like, hype up these FBS games as, like, games that really matter but they don't like at the end of the day, no. it doesn't impact your seating. Uh, the only like good thing is if you win it, no one holds it against you. If you, you're expected to lose. Right. So it's, I don't know that I thought that was stupid. And the fact that like what he's never lost to Richmond, he's never lost to William and Mary. He's never lost to Delaware. Like those should, I know that those teams are, haven't always been the best, but like they're kind of the rivals they have won a lot of quote unquote big games in my opinion. Like I think they've, they've won multiple playoff games, 2019, they had a bunch of big wins 2020. They found a way to kind of turn the season around after a really rough shaky start dealing with COVID. I just think he's done a really, really good job. And his only blemish is that he hasn't won a national title where like his tenure is not that different than Houston's other than the fact that Houston won a national title on a year when like it could have went the other way, on many different occasions, they just found ways to win those games. And I don't know if that's necessarily because Houston's a better coach or if that team just like had some breaks go their way and made it happen. Cause there are certainly times like this year when things could have went a little differently or in the past where things could have went a little differently. Like what if they play slightly better in the first half? What if Antoine Wells's foot is four inches to the, to the right and he's inbounds and they end up winning. So I don't know. I don't, 
I don't think he's that much different than Houston. I think they're the same exact coach, like the same exact coach. The only difference is if Racky hits one of those two field goals late and they win that game, that game against North Dakota State's probably in Bridgeforth. Jamie's probably Definitely, the two yeah. seed. Maybe they don't even play North Dakota State until the uh, championship. Mm-hmm. But so Jamie's probably in the national championship for the second time in four years under Signetti. Right. Is that, is that math? Right. Yeah. Um, I think he's only, he's only had three years. Second time in three years. Yeah. Yeah. First season they got it. Then it was COVID. And then this year. So it would have been the second time in three years, all off of one kick. And I know, I know that's extrapolating a lot out and talking about that, but I'm going to, I'm going to play that. What if game and say, if Racky goes one of two from inside the 20, Jamie's in the national championship right now. And that's not taking anything away from the greatest kicker in FCS history and everything like that. Um, it's just it's just the way the cookie crumbles, as people say. Sometimes you lose football games, and that's like what's kind of annoying. And I think if people want to question like his conservative nature, fair game, yes. like question clock management, fair, fair game. game. And I'm very interested to see how that goes in the Sun Belt against consistently pretty decent competition. But it's also very fair in my opinion to say that most sunbelt games are probably easier than a road game at north dakota state like north dakota state if they moved to an fbs league would be awesome like they would beat a bunch of sunbelt teams especially if you played them in the fargo dome in a game they truly cared about with like a pretty amped up crowd i saw something that said jmu would have been the fourth team in the sunbelt this season and here's and they explained it out. I think North Dakota State would be like the second or maybe first. I think North Dakota State could make that jump and be competitive right away. And JMU hung with them. And and I th- that's the double-edged sword of being a conservative coach. You're going to be in games that you shouldn't be in, and you're going to be in games that you shouldn't be in. But at the at the end of the day, coaches struggle with clock management. NFL coaches struggle mightily with clock management. If Kurt Signetti was a perfect clock manager at before halftime in the third quarter, like whenever in the game, he probably isn't coaching JMU. And that's, that's no offense to JMU, but he's probably at a power five school. He's probably in, I wouldn't say the NFL, but like if he was the perfect clock manager and he knew when to go, when to go for a win and, and when to go for two and when to go fourth down, he probably is an NFL head coach, but he's not. Like that's why he's at JMU. That's why he's going to be a Sun Belt coach, and he's going to be a damn good Sun Belt coach. Yeah, he's sixty years old and at JMU for a reason, right? He's maybe not the best coach in the world, but he's still really good. And I think they've got kind of a diamond in the rough, and they're a little lucky that he's sixty. Maybe Power Fives aren't quite as interested because you would have him for a shorter time frame, where he might want to go and be in the Sun Belt for ten years. And I know JMU fans are like, oh, ten years, we'll never make it ten years. Like, why not? Like, why couldn't he? He seems to have recruited well. He develops the quarterback position so exceptionally well. well. Like, they've done really well. And he's, like, willing to change a little bit of his offensive style where they, like, have been run heavy early on. He realized this year, hey, maybe that's not the way. They threw it a lot more with two really good receivers, made it work out. I don't know. I like him as a coach. I think he's going to be very good. He's also, like, pretty even keel. So someone, like, leading you in a transition where you can lose some games, find ways to bounce back and play your best football at the end of the year. I think it's doable. Like chances are if you're playing a really good team and North Dakota state's a really good team on the road, like you're probably not going to win. They're five and a half point underdogs. They lost by six. I know everyone expected them to win. We thought it was really good value we, on JMU. We thought so. We thought very much that all the value was on JMU. 
But like it happens, man. Four of their five losses are neutral sighter on the road, and the other one was the home game against Villanova where you mentioned the all-time great kicker missed two short field goals that I think if you give him today, probably makes. You give him most days, he makes them. So I don't know. I, I feel very positive about Signetti going into the Sun Belt. I also don't think the schedule is going to be that impossible. Yeah. Fair, there's criticism there for Signetti, but there's nowhere yeah. near people. Someone cited Earl Watford, a JMU alum, offensive lineman, played in the NFL for a few years. He was citing that he was upset that Signetti was smiling at the end of the game, and that was a reason he should be fired. Are you kidding me? That's a reason to – he just went toe-to-toe with the best team in the FCS over the last 15 years and probably has a relationship with Matt Entz being two of the top FCS coaches in the, in the, in the nation. And so you kind of know each other. You just played a damn good football game. It came down to a, a interception, and then you even get the ball back. We can talk about clock, that clock thing that happened too. But you get the ball back with like 50 seconds – and there's still a chance. Like that's a darn good football game for all for everything that happened in that happened in it. I don't mind Signetti smiling as he goes to shake his hand. Earl Watford was saying he should just walk off the field and not even say anything to Matt Entz in North Dakota State. What? No. <laughs> this is that's this just, isn't like that's such an offensive lineman mindset. Like I just I just hated seeing that. It's a shitty take. Like, there's not, I don't really have much else. <laughs> like, it's a, a terrible take. You'd rather have someone represent your university in a positive way. Like, someone, if he's like, you know what, you got me, hell of a game, like, give him a smile. At least he has perspective on the game, which I'm happy with. It's also not like they went 0 12 and he's like giddy with the opposing yeah. coach. Like, they had a great season. They fell a little bit short in a game that I think Kurt Zignetti and Matt Entz both expected to be a toss up. I know Jamie fans probably didn't feel quite the same way where they thought, oh, we can get them with the passing game. I thought that way too. And then people were like, why didn't they just air it out deep? Probably because they ran like a cover two the whole effing game. And like their safeties are good. Their corner were in the right spot, kind of made them go underneath a little bit more. That's why, because they played really good defense front seven to be able to play that defense without getting killed in the run game too. So like, I don't know. I thought it was a good, a really good battle that they ended up losing, but kind of annoying to hear some of the takes afterward that were just remarkably stupid and off base, like the firing Signetti and he's never won a big game. And yeah, how dare he smile? <laughs> like what? Made me upset. I, I, I read that and I just, I was like, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And uh, I think fair to say, Jamie fans need to change their expectations going into the Sunbelt. Oh, heavily. I Great, great segue into this next one. I mean, we're not, and then even even I think Jamie fans need just change their perspective. Period. Like even if yeah, that's a good point. Eight in the FCS, I think Jamie fans just need to change their perspective. I said at the beginning of the year, I said Jamie was a program that in the recent years has made it to the semifinals, and that's been like what they've done. They've been like a semifinal team, like one of the best four, and they had a national championship during that stretch. And then I was like, if they make it to the quarters in the semis, I'll be happy, and that's what they did. And it was like, I don't think this was unexpected. I thought they had a good chance to win. I thought they were more talented enough to win the national title. But sometimes that's not how it goes. North Dakota State does this every year. They're really good. They get the benefit of the doubt. They play home games, and they win the home games. So, like, it is what it is. JMU and the Sun Belt is going to be fine. Do I think JMU at Appalachian State could lose by 21? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, I do. Do I think Louisiana could spank them? Yes. Like, and if they play a full Sun Belt schedule next year, which it seems like they're trying to – 
to have mostly Sunbelt next year. That hasn't been announced yet. They're still working on it. Sounds like that won't be announced maybe until January. Um, what happens there? Otherwise, it's going to be a real nuts schedule. It's going to be super crappy. Um, but hopefully they can, they can make that happen. And if they do, I don't think the games are – I don't know if they would even count as Sunbelt games with how the transition period works. So, I don't know. A lot to be decided there. But, like, they're going to lose football games next year. They play Louisville on the road. They're going to lose games. They'll so. probably be if, – if they're 500 next season, that's a good season to me because there's a question mark at quarterback. There's a question mark at running back, honestly. There's a question mark across the offensive line with Fernando graduating. Um, the only thing that's certain on the offensive side is two wide receivers. I know Percy's coming back, but he's coming off of an injury-plagued season. So, I mean, we all hope he's fine and he's going to come back and be better than ever, but injuries are a, are a tough thing to come back from. And then on the defensive side, graduate out a lot of players and you're left with a lot of question marks. And if they go 500, that's a great game. That's a great season. Yeah, they had a really good team. They're coming off kind of like they did maybe in 2018 where they had to reload they didn't reload that well and they went whatever it was nine and four and lost to colgate you put that at the fbs level it could could be a six and six or something so they also maybe they find a way to get some pieces in there that work and and they rally and they have some some guys step in that do really well too and they have a good year but like they're going to lose games in the foreseeable future appalachian state's been really successful they lost games coastal carolina really successful they were a two-loss team that battled with a mac team in a bowl game um it's not like the Sun Belt doesn't mean you're like a, making the college football playoff. I think some JMU fans are like, it's going to expand at 12. We're going to go in there and run the Sun Belt. We'll be in the 12. We're going to give Bama a run, probably upset them, make it to the semis, and then maybe we fade there. And it's like, nah, like it's going to be a little bumpier, but it's going to be easier to watch them. Uh, the games will be more fun, but there's still going to be like growing pains. They're not automatic. Be a top 25 team. Like it's going to take time. Yeah, we're going to care about a game in the middle of October. Like JMU yeah, will sell out a game. A JMU will probably sell out a game that isn't homecoming or parent weekend. Yeah, like there's going to be exciting games in the season and they're going to be like easier to watch. Like that seems like a huge positive, even if they're taking some losses, which they probably will. And then they'll, they'll try to grow as a program and get to a point where they can be a top 25 team and playing like a Virginia or Virginia tech or, or some of those teams. So I'm excited for it. I think it'll be a really great change, but yeah, it's not going to be all like perfect and easy because JMU is not a completely dominant football team. They're just a really good football team. Exactly. They're, they're a really good football team. And you know what else is really good about getting out of the, the FCS? Flow sports. Clock operators will know how to work the clock. I, um, I thought they did a bang up job. Oh, you do? I thought that was, I thought it was done by the book. Um, under three minutes in the Fargo Dome in a semifinal game, I was under the impression the clock operator could wait to start the play clock for 30 seconds, giving the home team a little boost to help send them to Frisco. Fans were upset about that. Uh, maybe it's not in the rule book. Maybe I'm looking at a different rule book, Jack. I, I think it's – we talked about this on the Twitter space too, that if you just watch the clock throughout the game, like they would wait to stop it multiple times like a field goal would go in and it would hit the ground and then two more seconds would like come off the clock and two seconds in that moment doesn't seem like a lot but I mean when you're sitting at the end of the game and it's they have 50 seconds to work with rather than two minutes I think that's a lot is it too crazy to think that like some 
Fargo, North Dakota state clock operator, just like let his 12 year old son help for the game. I mean, it was like, it was really poor. Like, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how the refs don't see it, how no one catches that in such an important moment. Uh, but kind of hilarious that they just burned 30 seconds that obviously would have drastically changed JMU's final drive. Just knowing you have that, that kind of time, you can call plays differently, do things differently. Um, Cole Johnson took kind of an inexcusable sack at the end, and we can get into Cole and some of the positives in a second. But, yeah, I mean, the clock was bad. It was <laughs> kind of a ridiculous game in many ways. I thought the broadcast crew was um, – I really like West Durham on, on play-by-play. I honestly don't remember the name of the person who did color, but they kind of fell onto some crutches where it was clear, like, they haven't really followed FCS all year. Yeah, it, I, I'm fine with that at the end of the day, like – it's just funny when they start repeating the same thing that they've fallen on in terms of the neck rolls. Also the, um, the color guy, I forgot what his name was too, but he was just such an old school football guy. And when you're a color analyst at this point, I feel like you need to know a little bit about analytics and a little bit about more than you just three yards in a cloud of dust. Like that's the type of guy he was. He was like, they're big boys. They got neck rolls and, and that's, that's, that's football. That's football for you. This is North Dakota State. And it's like, can we, can we get a little bit of, like, whys and hows and why you yeah. kicked the field goal against going for it? Or, you, or like, <laughs> and they just didn't. It was also kind of funny, too, because it would be like, JMU was struggling. It's like, you know what they need to do? They need to pound the ball, Latrell. And I was like, or <laughs> – <laughs> or they could try to stretch the field a little bit with their two star receivers. Like that would, that's kind of what made the offense go all year. It's like, you know what they need to do here? Just pound it and lean on this unbelievably good front seven. That's kind of beating them up a little bit. It was like, what? <laughs> uh, you want to talk about some, some Cole stuff? I mean, he's six years senior. Yes. Um, finally leaving JMU, not finally in a bad connotation, finally, as in like, He's been there since my sophomore year of college, and I am now two years out of college, um, or three right. years out of college, two years out of college. Um, <laughs> good for him. I mean, Jace Kitty put it really well that in the era of transfer portals and, and everything like that, he even went through a coaching change. Most guys leave the program to go to greener pastures. Gage Maloney did it, hold nothing against him, but he went to Bryant mm-hmm. because – he had a chance to start there, and he didn't this year for JMU. Um, Kyle Adams is leaving. Again, nothing yep. against him. Go and find your place. I feel like there's been other quarterback transfers throughout the years, but it's been fantastic from Cole for him to stick around. Get benched last season, and if COVID, the COVID outbreak doesn't happen on the team, who knows if he's even the starter this year. Absolutely awesome from him to stick around and, and, and do what he did. That's well said. Yeah. I mean, he could have done a lot of different things, but I think the thing that stands out the most to me is like at one point, um, was it Danucci's maybe his second to last year or something? I think that's when Cole wanted to redshirt. And I think he did. It was something like that where Cole, when he, first when season. He, you said second yeah. to last year and you said that in a really weird way. It was Danucci's first. Cause he was season. only there two years. There two years. Yes. So, <laughs> so Danucci's first season. Thank you for clarifying. That sounds even better. Danucci's season i remember that report that cole wanted to redshirt and i was like why like you really want to hang around just for the chance in a couple years to maybe be the guy and and that's what he did and it wasn't working out then the COVID outbreak hit and then he just sort of clicked and and rallied and 
became an unbelievably good quarterback. He had an incredible year, 41 touchdowns to four interceptions. I know he threw two in that game, but unbelievable season. They needed him this year. They didn't have that kind of depth. Just really happy for him in the way that he finished his career. Super proud of him. And he will be remembered fondly, I think, by Jamie fans, including us. Um, I'm not going to go out. There are some people saying like, oh, he's better than Ben. He's better than Brian or whatever. I don't really know on that comparison front. Um, but he was very, very productive and had a lengthy, productive career. I think he's, you know, big shoes to fill, like 41 touchdowns and four picks. That's a hell of a year. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, two fantastic playoff runs that end in heartbreak, but they're two fantastic playoff runs. He came in big time freshman year and kept the season going. Um, when Brian went down with the broken collarbone, um, stepped in, got a couple huge wins and gave JMU the, what was it? The four seed that season kept him alive for that. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't want to compare anyone to maybe in a few seasons we can compare, but I think in this moment, it's a disservice to Cole. It's a disservice to all the quarterbacks that came before him too to compare right now. We should just enjoy the moment, enjoy kind of looking back on the past six years, what he did for the program um, and set them up well for this transition to the Sun Belt. And let's see how they do because Vadley, Brian Shore, Ben Nucci, Cole Johnson is a hell of So, like, continuing that quarterback stretch is going to be tough. But, like, all four of those guys are some of the best to ever put on a Jamie uniform and play quarterback. So they've they've had some really good quarterbacks over the years. We'll see who the next iterations are, but that's pretty darn special. Yeah, I mean, no offense to Billy Atkins, but it looks like they kind of had a little – they don't have too, too much faith in him as they tried to bring in that Duke transfer, but then everything fell through with him. Um, So it'll be interesting. I mean, maybe they're just bringing in for depth and bringing it in like a Connor Mitch situation for competition and maybe Billy Atkins steps up, but they're looking for an FBS transfer right now. They missed out on Spencer Rattler. They missed out on Bo (laughs) Nix, missed out on Caleb Williams. We'll see how it goes. I'm pretty excited to, to see what they do with that position. I do want to bring up one significant take that was funny. Uh, Someone had, (laughs) someone was critiquing him. And they owned up to it after the fact that they, they said, why didn't he recruit Thornton out of high school? And I went, Thornton's first season at VMI, Signetti was at Elon. Like, why didn't Signetti recruit Thornton to JMU while, while Elon's head coach? And they were like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Some of the takes were like that, though. The Signetti critiques, like, why aren't they recruiting this guy at high school? Be, uh, It's also funny because like JMU's model has been big offensive linemen and great running backs and a good defense. Like the fact that the fact they recruited Antoine Wells is kind of amazing to me that they were able to pull this fantastic receiver. Um, But that's just not the model. He's not going out looking for the, a three-star receiver and putting all of his effort into him. He's looking for the three-star lineman that he can, he can sway from Virginia tech or something. Just so funny to question the recruiting when it's like, the team's really good, right? That this, is team, that this is the team you said was so talented they should never lose. And you're like, but he can't recruit. <laughs> They're all Houston's guys. It's like, well, he hasn't been there that long. And the upperclassmen are Houston's guys. So it makes sense that those guys are, are ultra productive, right? I mean, whatever. Those were I just thought were really funny. But I'm excited to see the future at all the positions because they still have those stud receivers. What are they going to do at quarterback? Um, especially with like next year. I don't, I don't want to say I don't care. But it's like if they're not playing in a bowl game, and they're not having FCS playoffs. It's kind of just be fun. Like, all right, let's see what they do each week and how they kind of develop for the future because nobody really cares if they 
go undefeated or go like six and six. Don't say that. Some JMU fans are probably going to be calling for Signetti's head each week. They definitely will. I just say from my perspective, I think it's yeah. just going to be fun to like sit back and catch whatever games I can and enjoy the season and maybe head out to some of those games. We'll see how things, things go. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be fun. And then in like two or three years, I think it's going to get really intense and awesome. Yeah. When they're bowl eligible, that's when, that's when it's going to get a lot of fun, but it's going to be yes. a, a good season next year. The podcast will just be looking ahead. How did, how did they develop this week? How, how are they going to develop next week instead of, you know, full <laughs> breakdowns? It's going to be very um, looking ahead. Do you have anything else to add on JMU's end of season? Anything else you want to say? Not a lot. I thought it was a good season. I was impressed. They battled through some injuries to some key guys and um, played well. They had red zone woes that they seemed to improve upon, I guess, at least a little bit. I don't know. I thought it was a good year. Another really good year of JMU football. They are positioned well to move to the Sun Belt, which is probably really, to be honest with you, my biggest takeaway from the entire football season is that they are moving up. Isn't it, isn't it fitting that JMU's season ended on a red zone interception? After all of the problems in the red zone, that's how their season ended. I guess that's fair. Wait, hey, you're dis- discrediting the uh, like poor Hail Mary attempt. Sure. <laughs> the true the true ending was a sack two yards from out of bounds, <laughs> followed by a rush tail Mary attempt that then also kind of became a sack. <laughs> they really did not handle that final drive well, but um, I thought the overall year I was very pleased with. Yeah. So before we move on to some basketball talk, we have a word from our sponsor. Say goodbye to dull gifts, light box, lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but just are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in bluish pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. So men's basketball, cancel game against Morgan State. According to a Shane Metlin report, that's a big-time bummer. If they had known a little bit earlier, they could have been playing Duke. Yeah, I don't know how they would have known. Um, it seemed like Morgan State gave them word pretty late, to be honest with you. They're like 20 minutes away from leaving or something. Yeah. Um, and Morgan State was like, actually, we have six positives. And also so Morgan like, State had a couple games canceled over the weekend, too. Like Friday night, I remember saying – I remember on the Twitter space as we were leaving, I said Morgan State game I couldn't, is Jeopardy. I couldn't find that, though. They played on the uh, – they played on the 18th. Was the 18th Friday? Saturday. Oh, they did. I, I remember hearing reports that on Friday night, the 17th, they were having some COVID issues. Oh, maybe they had enough to play or something. Probably. And then it, then they actually tested the players that played on the 18th and then they realized they couldn't play. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. Morgan state stinks. So it's not really a big loss, but they were flying out of BWI a lot of the, to go home for the holidays. Um, I guess Wednesday morning or something. So didn't want to mess up their plans. So they're doing that. They'll play Penn on the 28th. I think the maybe the bigger story overall um, is that, like, unless some of these protocols kind of change, 
seems like we're in for a very similar thing here with Omicron um, and the virus spreading around. Like people who are like boosted are still getting the virus. So if you're getting tested regularly and you feel sick and have to get tested and then you get it, like I imagine there are going to be significantly more pauses and things of that nature moving forward, which is going to make for a very disjointed winter of basketball. Yeah. I won't, I won't get into my the opinions <laughs> that I have about this season, but it's very interesting. Looser protocols looking like it's going to start being more testing or something. And I don't think the season will get shut down. Like the NHL just paused their season until the end of Christmas. Um, I thought it was cool too. Like oh, <laughs> we're going to pause for a day and a half and everything will be better. <laughs> it's also just my, my one opinion on it. It's funny that we got through last season with no vaccine fairly. Okay. It seemed like last season there wasn't too, too much like cancellations and changing, especially once conference play got going, there was a few here and there. Um, but now with a vaccine, it's still like you're canceling games. And I, I understand it's all for player safety and, and contact tracing. And I get that it's a safe thing to do. It's the smart thing to do, but it's just, it's just a little, just sit back and you kind of scratch your head. You did it without a vaccine and now you're struggling to do it with the vaccine. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it all. Uh, I, I'm, I am too. I, I just don't want to get too, uh, too into it. I feel you. It seems like it's going to be around for a while. So I imagine at some point there's going to have to be more of from a general and from a sports perspective, a way to kind of coexist with it in some ways. So I'm interested to see how that develops. Um, a little frustrating for Jamie basketball, just because they're kind of rolling this year and they look it. So I think to have a little disjointed for a team that also doesn't get the opportunity to play in a conference tournament stinks. Like, I just want to see them play as much as they possibly could in the regular season. So hopefully they can find a way to stay healthy and their opponents can. That's kind of the challenging part, right? Is you got two sides here, meaning both sides to be healthy, which I think a lot of teams are finding. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully they're able to play a decent amount because uh, only one non-conference game left and they start their first five conference games where against some of the best teams in the league. Um, a lot of those, um, at least the first couple on the road. And then they're going to have a really winnable stretch there in late January. Um, and then a few in February too. So they got, if they're able to play these games, they got a lot of winnable ones ahead of them. Like they could make a run at 20 wins if they can get enough games in. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I don't know, disappointed to see so many games getting canceled again. Yeah. Next game up will be against Penn all thing. If it all happens, I'm a, I'm a little worried about that game in all honesty, mainly because it's the Ivy league and I feel like they're kind of quick to, to shut things down, to cancel oh, yeah, stuff. Um, but it's at Penn. Three and 10 Penn. What? Three and 10 Penn. Hey, don't discredit that three and 10 record, man. They went to double OT against Utah state. They lost by just two to LaSalle lost by seven to St. Joseph's lost by nine to temple lost by 25 to Villanova, lost by 16 to Arkansas, lost by 15 to uh, Towson. They're fighters, man. <laughs> they're, they're probably better than 3-10. and 10. They played kind of a murderer's row. They do have a, <laughs> a neutral site win over ODU, which is by far their best win of the year. Uh, it's a game, Jamie, you should win, even though Ken Palm has Penn winning by a point. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And really? Kind of, yeah. Also interested to see – would be 17 game, 17 games, 
17 days between games for JMU. That's a long, a long time. And uh, if Byington's anything like Lewis Rowe, they're not getting that pen scout until the morning of the game. And they're going to lose by 40. <laughs> I, was, I still can't get over that one. Anyway. That was bad. I, yeah. We don't have a, I don't have a ton of basketball thoughts right now after that kind of coming down from the high of the UEA win. Yeah, I'm still coming down from I mean, it feels like they haven't really played – they played one game. Only the Radford game, right? Where they had that great second half to, yeah. to win. I mean, the, the UVA game is still fresh in our mind, and that was feels like almost a month ago. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Women's basketball thoughts? Or do you, have, do you have anything to say on them after they uh, beat uh, George beat Mason? Beat Mason 69-61. Watched pretty much that entire game uh, <laughs> during the workday. During the workday. Um, a slow week. Uh, but no, they had a great second half. They outscored them 45 to 34. Uh, Kiki Jefferson had 21 and 10. Claren F hit five threes. She was awesome. Uh, Jamea Hazel was good. Uh, Goodman was good. Jalen Caradine has become a rebounding beast. She had 15 boards in this one. Jesus. So they're, they're trying, they're rebounding better, which is more like their identity. They're still have really sloppy turnovers, but they're hitting a couple of threes, which helps. They're rebounding pretty well playing a little bit of a little bit better defense. I'm still really high on them because I don't think the conference is that good. So I think they'll turn it around, finish the year with a winning record, all that good stuff. They're not making the tournament, um, but I think they have a chance to, to rally and do some nice things. And the thing that stood out in this game is they kind of came strong late and found a way to win, which is what they're like, historically, they feel like they've done, right? How many times have we watched Jamie women's game where it's like a little bit ugly, but they just like edge their way ahead and win by like seven won this one by eight so it just kind of feels like what they used to do a lot where in the past this season like the West Virginia game they almost found a way to win uh the Buffalo game is one they struggled in the second half George Washington is normally one in the past they find a way to win the Liberty one that was close they normally find a way to like edge those out so to actually have one of those happen was good um get into conference play starting on December 31st against Delaware I think um they should be good they'll find a way to win some games um yeah probably worth keeping some tabs on because I think they'll be decent but have no expectations for the NCAA tournament. Maybe they have a big run here and get in the NIT, which would be really cool. Yeah, so keep it locked here on the Jamie Sports News podcast um, because Bennett will be giving you weekly updates on the women's team. And maybe I will too if I start tuning in to watch, but they play at weird times, man. They do have some, uh, some strange game times and some of it's like tough to catch like sunday games which is what they have for a lot of conference play that can be tough for people so um yeah anything else you want to add about this i we will be taking next week off yes no podcast next week to uh celebrate christmas i guess christmas is technically this week christmas and the new year and then uh we'll jump into our first podcast of 2022 as a kind of year in review and uh break down basketball women's basketball and olympic sports a little bit heavier and it's been it's been a wild ride. It's been a wild football season. Absolutely, yeah. Slow couple of weeks here with the holidays coming up and and football transitioning away. So taking a week off, we'll recharge the batteries. And like yeah. you said, year we have a pretty exciting year to review. UVA upset, Sun Belt move, women's college world series. Technically, women's college. Year, right? I forgot that happened. It was and a- the it was what we got like twenty plus football games to work. Yeah, I was gonna say the Sam Houston <laughs> meltdown is in there. Yeah. Oh, man. We'll have to come up with like superlatives. Happen, so. Oh, we got to do uh, superlatives are good. 
that'll be an easy way, maybe an easier way to review it then because there's so much to go through. Yeah. All right. For Bennett Collin, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. This has been the Jamie Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.